Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 2008, Seattle police officer Kim Moguki walked through the gates of the Washington Correctional Center for Women, intent on asking a group of mothers for permission to work with their school-aged daughters in a Girl Scout Beyond Bars troop for girls with incarcerated parents. On that day, Moguki asked a mother, asked the mothers a critical question if there was something someone could have said or done that would have changed the path that led you here, what would you have done? For one of the inmates in particular, the question struck a chord. Renata Abramson was a repeat offender serving a nine-year sentence. In the days that followed, Renata took it upon herself to answer that question in writing and invited fellow prisoners to do the same. That is the beginning of this wonderful project called the IF Project. It's also the genesis uh, and the background behind the documentary, The If Project. We're joined today by the director of The If Project, and that would be Kathleen Horan. Kathleen, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Good pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, let's. I, I sort of uh, gave a little bit of the background here, but tell me how you found out about The If Project and what prompted you to, to move forward with this particular project. Well, I'd always been interested in social justice issues and using film as a way to translate those um, and, and particularly do it in a way that's not so heavy with statistics, but to get people engaged emotionally um, to get more of, you know, it kind of let you intimately into someone's world and experience it. And therefore, if you care about these characters, you might want to become activated around an issue as a result. Um, and Kim, I had known Kim Buguki, the detective that involved that co-founded this project with one of the inmates inside, Renata Abramson. Um, she, I had known her and known of her work as a community police officer, and she'd done work with homeless youth, and we'd talked about potentially some topics for um, a documentary. And through the course of that, she got handed these essays, as you described in your paragraph. She walked into prison, met these moms, and through the course of this question, she then came back a month later, and one of the inmates handed her this stack of essays, which was she took it upon herself to go around the prison to ask the other inmates to answer this question and then turned them over to Kim. And so Kim called me at that point. She's like, I've been a cop for 20-something years. I've never had anything like this happen before. I know there's something to it. Um, and that's essentially like the, the genesis of this entire thing, which was about eight years ago. It's been eight years. Yes, long time. Long time. Well, then, well, then, that's sort of the process moving forward, sort of to gaining the trust of uh, the people involved, including Kim and Renata. Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you? Uh, Because it's obviously there was a mutual uh, understanding, but what was it like to be able to gain the level of trust that you needed in order to really dive into what is a very intimate? Uh, film, a very intimate, very, um, you know, you're in a place with these people uh, that they probably haven't shared with a lot of other people in their lives, if any. Yeah. Um, It was, I think part of it was a choice of, like I was saying, the way that I think I like to approach projects. And it's, 
and with documentary filmmaking and you have subjects you work with a long time saying like objectives we, we still put our purview on it no matter what we do mm-hmm. um but to gain that intimacy you're right it did require like building a trust relationship with these women so to me I wanted to not go inside and tell them what I wanted. I wanted to understand from them what they wanted out of it. So it was the approach with them was doing it as a collective. And cause in, and since I've learned from them, other producers from other shows that we've heard of that are not the great ones that cover women in prison, they come in and ask them all these horrible questions. And, you know, they're in a vulnerable position where they have no rights. They have nothing. And, given one opportunity to to tell their story, they sometimes take it and people don't treat it with much respect. So my approach to this was to ask the prison if they were willing to let us ask them to have the women meet with us and sit down and kind of talk through the process with them. And we luckily had a, a prison that was incredibly great to work with, like mm-hmm. a progressive prison in this realm, Washington Correction Center for Women. Um, and we did an open call out which means that anyone come, can come, the prison goes through that process. And we sat down in a circle with about 50 women in each meeting and told them we've got these essays and what would you guys want from this process? And we ran around in the circle and every single one of them said they wanted to prevent kids in particular from following in their footsteps. And then I asked them, you know, would you be willing for me to make, you know, we can do an educational piece that's a prevention piece, and then we could also do a piece for the general public to learn your stories in a way that isn't focused on your crime and to understand what led you here, mm-hmm. and they agreed. And and then we also came up with the idea to create a writing workshop out of that one question because they wanted programming, a lot of budget cutbacks, um, didn't give them a lot of things to do, and so we were able to take this question, bring in Amber Flame, the writing instructor that's in the film, and collectively Kim and her and myself came up with these questions that have changed and evolved over time. But So we were able to provide them with something that they needed and an outcome that they wanted, and then I could do the work that I wanted for the rest of the world. And I think that created the trust that it wasn't like about, let's be on camera, it was let's figure something out together. Because the whole course of it is kind of the journey of this if because they were trying to figure it they don't they didn't know either like they're all sitting there wondering how did they end up in prison and uh, so it ended up being this collective organic thing that grew over time i thought i was going to be done in a year um and then eight years later as it goes it was finished but you know i think they understood just continuing to come back that there was more to it than sit down and tell your story and never hear from you again. Right. Well, there's so much, uh, you that just what you've said, there's so many layers to that. Uh, creating an environment that is, uh, that is safe, that is cooperative, that is collaborative. That's not just the responsibility of you as a filmmaker, but also mm-hmm. just the actual project itself being able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of this um, certainly... Uh, comes down to the the uh, the work that Kim Boguki does in the film, how committed she is, how particularly uh, engaged she is with these people. And let's not forget Renata, who is mm-hmm. uh, sort of the spiritual, um, you know, in terms of the people in prison, certainly yeah. uh, carrying the 
carrying the torch for uh, that. She felt enough self-reflection, enough mm-hmm. uh, a review of her own life to be able to say, it's not just me, there are others who feel the same way, and uh, she deserves a lot of credit for this uh, moving yeah, forward. Go ahead. It wouldn't have happened without her. You know, she she had to take that question and, and make it legitimate inside, and I think because she was such a cop hater and known for that, that yeah. her buy-in in creating this brought the respect of the other uh, inmates. A couple things. I, I do want to talk about Kim uh, and and her commitment and certainly just as her as a person, as a Seattle police officer, all the different parts of this. And I know you said you don't like uh, or you're not drawn to, uh, you know, to make a film that was, you know, laden with statistics. But I do think it's important to point out that there in this country, there are 6.8 million people in prison, in jail, or on probation or parole. One in, out, out of every 35 uh, adults is in some way involved in the criminal justice system. We have the highest percentage of people in prison or and or in p- a part of the system uh, of any country in the world. Uh, and, yeah. and women, as you point out, are among are the fastest growing segment of the incarceration population. And I'm going to complete and that's yeah. that's uh, nearly double the rate of men since 1985. I'm going to completely stay away from a lot of other issues that come into play, which is the privatization of the prison industry <laughs> and all the things that have led in some way contributed to it. Mandatory sentencing, all the rest of it, because yeah. racism, it, poverty, racism, poverty, because this is a film, not a. It's about that, but it's about this in a very personal and engaging and intimate way, as I said at the earlier. And I also want to let people know that if they're listening to the sound of our voice uh, prior to September 14th, they'll know that they well, they should know that this film will be uh, is broadcast premiere on Logo uh, on Wednesday, September 14th at 8 p.m. I think that's both Eastern and Pacific time. So check this out. I'm sure that Logo will be running this sporadically. And you can also go to uh, the the ifprojectmovie.com. Okay, so let's take, we took care of business there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I want to go, okay, good. So let's talk about Kim and her, Officer Kim uh, Voguki and her sort of involvement, her, she is the heart and soul in many ways of this film. Uh, tell us a little bit about her as a person. She is it's uh, kind of a miraculous, I mean, I have to, I guess, back it up and say I've never been a fan of the police either in my lifetime. And I think through the course of this project, I got an understanding that I never really had before. And I also think it's important, we're, we are at an interesting place in time right now where the police um, are looked at with a, a good amount of um, disdain and almost at the same level that incarcerated people are. So we're at a crux where both of those things are, you know, in the headlines today. And I think for her and her way of policing was, you know, an eye-opening experience to me and community policing in particular. I didn't even know there were community police officers um, until I met her. And I think that the, the most striking thing was her ability to maintain a level of compassion and uh, heart and openness as a, someone who been a police officer, I think it was 21 years at that point when we, we started this. And she is, I, I think, you know, like she says in the film, and it's true, she got into policing because she wanted to help people. And, mm-hmm. and that was what was her inspiration, working with homeless youth and really believing that she's in a position to do more good than harm. 
Um, and the, Seattle has also had, uh, luckily enough, they keep this community policing portion of uh, the the force in in place, which is necessary. And I think watching her be compassionate and know how to problem solve is, was highly important and impressive. And she's just maintained that openness and also a lot of drive to help create something. And this project, you know, is moved forward in, in large part just because she's like here, she's kind of an outside of the box thinker. Yeah. And, and she was able to take these essays, bring me on board and then collectively moving forward, getting everything uh, evolving. She's like an incredible creative thinker. And I think that most people don't expect that from a police officer. So she's she's definitely an extraordinary individual. She she truly is. Uh, she truly is, and and it is. Uh, it's interesting to see her over the course of the film, over this eight year period that you worked on this film, to see her um, maintain that level of commitment. First of all, and secondly, yeah. sort of sort of change. And I mean, there's there's subtle things about the her the way she uh, approaches these people and these women in prison. Uh, just there's things in it you can see. Uh, I, and in some ways, I want to say it feels like after all this time, she's seen it all. And so she has, yeah. I think, a better capacity to sort of understand what needs to happen next. I think that would. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that there's that's a lot of the respect of the women when they started to see her interacting. Or, you know, the other people who were incarcerated saw how she was interacting with people there and she kept showing up. And she was also because as a police officer, you're very well tapped into what resources resources are and are not available. Yeah. And when you get out of prison or you have kids that are on the outside and you need to understand, you know, uh, where uh, D- uh, DHS or like all these different acronyms that I've come to understand now of when you're caught up in the system, there's all these components to it that she has an understanding of and she knows how to patch things through or she knows where you can go if you need this or the process of things that a lot of outsiders don't get. And, you know, she was willing and able to help plug these women into these services that they may need or help their family on the outside. And then people started understanding that there and, and she gained their trust through that process. Um, and, you know, she didn't have to do to go to the lengths that she's gone to, you know, all of this is within the, the, the realm of her job as a police officer, but I do believe she goes above and beyond. Um, the scope of her job um, simply because she cares that much. And, you know, these answers provided her with the questions that she's always wondered. How did you end up in the back of my police car? And then those answers in turn can help other police officers or, you know, people on all levels outside of that process to, to gain an understanding from these women themselves. Right. Right. And and, and increasingly, I, I mean, it, it'd be... I think misleading in some way to say, well, that this is the norm across the country in terms of policing, community policing, while yeah. it is in place in a many in many different communities, mm-hmm. and there's and there are positive results to, that have been seen from community policing and intervention and post-prison mm-hmm. programs that are meaningful that actually mean something that can change the lives of these people is certainly not the norm across the country. Definitely not. And that's my hope, too, is kind of like have these two missions with the film. And one is to 
humanize these people who are incarcerated and understand, you know, we start with some stats at the beginning just to get you on your journey that we have a massive mass incarceration problem. And then we also have an issue with policing and we can look at policing in a new way and we can look at this population in a new way. Um, that this could be a tool for other communities to understand, you know, how there's a, there's a positive way that things can be done and that we can improve and move forward. Well, within the film, well, by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Kathleen Horan, and she is the director, producer, and writer of the film, The If Project. It will be screening a broadcast premiere this coming Wednesday, September 14th on Logo at 8 o'clock, and I assume that'll be across the country. It says Eastern and Pacific, so I assume that that's Central yep. and whatever other, what other other area codes we have here. <laughs> in the game. Um, so I meant time zones, really. Uh, so uh, there are, and then go to the If Project, well, let me get this right, If, oh boy, I had it in front of me. If, I, the If, if ifprojectmovie.com. Thank you. That's what I meant. And, and? theifproject.com the if is the organization itself. Very good. Yes. All of that stuff. And it's, if you care, social media, it's all, you're on Facebook and at, uh, at the If Project Doc on Twitter. So if you want to chime in on that as in, on the, in the Twitter world, then that would be great. And so um, you follow over the course of the film um, a, a number, I'll say, let's say three or four particular people. I'm thinking of Tiffany and yeah. talk, talk to us a little bit about the individual stories, because I think it's one of the strengths of the film. And there are many is that, uh, you know, it, it isn't just uh, uh, ice cream and unicorns for people that are <laughs> on their way out of prison through this program mm -hmm. and back out under the street to, you know, parades and, uh, and, you know, keys to the mm -hmm. city. Th there yeah. are actual issues that these people continue to deal with and the, the damage done to their families. And talk a little bit about sort of the people within the film that you, you, you chose to follow. Yeah. I mean, the, well, the, I think part of in, in making the film realizing that a lot of change doesn't happen inside behind those walls. So if you're going to build a narrative structure, it's, it's a little bit challenging because things change doesn't happen quickly. And as, by the course of the filming, people started to get released. And so I covered um, a number of that and the process of a lot of the women who were out. And and that is true. I think most people do think, including the women inside, initially when you get out, freedom is going to solve everything. Yeah. And in fact, it is it is incredibly challenging. Everything is against you, and including getting a job. And the difference between men and women in prison is, most of these women are mothers, like over 60% nationally um, of the women who are locked up have children. And there's obviously a massive effect on those. And so Tiffany had, has two kids. Renata has four kids. Um, Angela has four kids. Jeez. And uh, Kiwi, who is still inside, is the only one that doesn't have kids. And, and that's a pretty accurate representation of the women who are in that prison. Mm. So, we get to see the challenges of Tiffany gets out and, and she is doing really well. And I don't want to give too much away, right. but addiction plays a part in, in her newfound freedom. Um, and Renata, you know, they, they are scared before they get out and it is lonely and you miss this community that you've had inside. Right. Um, Angela, same thing. She has kids and got out and we'll see that through the course of the film. Yeah. And her experience, 
Um, and then Renata, you know, gets to gets to see her 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 the fruits of her work on the outside once the project um, has over eight years been growing. Right. Um, but seeing the process and being there, and if I, w- I would have loved to have made a film that was much longer and really delving into, you know, the the moment by moment process. It was a lot to pack into one. So I'm interested in doing another piece that's a little more um, journalistic, and you can follow and understand these hurdles in a more detailed way right. because there are a lot of them. Um, but well, it's highly, you know, it's it's it's. it's was an emotional journey to be with them through this process, through the ups and downs. Um, well, I'll just say, as a viewer, I defy anyone to to go more than about 20 minutes into this film without reaching for something <laughs> to dab your eyes with, because I wouldn't, I mean, you're in, t- I'm in tears. I'm going to confess. I'm going to admit it, okay? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an evolved man here. I can say out loud that this is a very moving film, and these women's stories are very, very moving and involving and there and and i and you know the other part of this is the criminal justice system the arrest and conviction and the trials and all the rest of it of these women and and anyone who is in the in the criminal justice system this is the last step along a very very broken set of circumstances and so while you know incarceration sort of stops the bleeding for a while the bleeding continues when they get back out into what is generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, a very broken set of circumstances. Yeah. And, and, I mean, seven, seven, 700,000 people get out of prison every year. Yeah. And that's part of what I think the, the, the world, well, America needs to understand. Is, you know, people are going away and they're going to come back and they're coming back to these communities. And how do we want them to be able to return, to be broken and still dealing with the issues that they had to begin with, like you're saying, this is the last stop in this long system. Right. Um, and to get people real help and real understanding. I mean, it's a complicated and complex long cycle. It, um, yes. Well, but it's, yeah. Well, Kevin, we have a system that is mm-hmm. extremely good at dehumanizing and destroying yep. the life. We, I've got that part down. We can destroy yes. the lives of these people. <laughs> We've got that. One hundred percent. And honestly, I feel like the media has done no help. Right. And and that was my goal in this. It's like you watch like, yeah. Locked Up or other shows yeah. where it's, right. we talk about crime right. and you see the, these people as the other. And the goal with this was, you know, my the first time I walked in, it was like this the community of people like you and me and my friends. And and I showed a friend of mine the first kind of cut of some some footage I had and and he said is this a special prison for articulate women I'm like no this is just what the world the media doesn't really show you enough of this I think we're starting to get better at that but these and this is also why I didn't include going deeply into the crime in the film because the crime isn't you know it's part of the story and eventually you get an understanding but if we start with that information then we don't care about that person immediately and ultimately a lot of this is or, you know, there are films that are indictments of the system itself, and those are important, and that needs to be done. And I think for this film, I wanted to be able to show um, a more emotional, connected human side of this to get you to care about that, and also have a sense of we need to stop people from going to prison. Of course, we need to improve prisons, but ideally we should be building less of them and doing more on the outside and our society as a whole to lift each other up and, you know, not 
not dehumanize and and care about everyone's kind of life path moving forward. Right. Let, let, I'm just. I got a soapbox. I'm going to jump up on it for a, just a second. Do it. Okay, when I was involved in political work and do and doing this sort of thing, and one of the subjects that we tackled uh, uh, in my in my career was criminal justice reform. And mm -hmm. in the state of California, and this is up until 2004, over the course of the last two, 20 or 25 years, prior to 2004, the state of California had built 21 prisons and one university. And, ah. and I think that that, as well as any statistic that I could find, said so much about the priorities. And this is where I'm going to continue yep. the soapbox rant here for a second. Until we fix all of these other institutions, we are only putting a Band-Aid when we try to reform the criminal justice system. 100%. I mean, to me, ultimately, and the next films that, are, that I have in development of projects, is about economic justice because the, that was one of the takeaways of this is you know the bulk of people that are incarcerated are poor and people of color and until we fix our that system like you're saying you know that the, we're going to keep building prisons but I, it, it blows my mind that it just doesn't make sense to start from the beginning <laughs> and this you know notion of equal starting conditions that we don't have here that it's just, I think, more complex and more complicated, and it's easier to to say, let's build another prison and let's ignore it. You you, um, al you alluded to it earlier. You said the the world, and then you said America has to figure this out. The world, yeah. in many many ways, not a lot, but European uh, the incarceration systems in other parts of the world are about when you get into the system, their priority is to get you out of the system as quickly yeah. and effectively and as efficiently as they can, as they can. And that's the huge difference between our systems. Huge right. difference. Right. It, it just makes sense. Yes. But I think, it's, you know, we're, we're this, uh, I mean, we, there's a whole other podcast about right. it society is. Of, on that level of, you know, how we take care of each other and, and, and we have, it, like, systemic racism and, and poverty and all these things that are the number one starting point. And, you know, the, and it, it also goes to the level of, a little segue to the number one answer to all of these questions and these essays that have come out is a positive adult role model yeah. that people were lacking in their life. And, and then all the other elements of that were a, a measure of economics and abuse um, and a variety of things that are, you know, more complicated to tackle than building another prison and, and just slowing people there. But I think people are starting to pay attention or things are starting to turn. Yeah. Which does give me hope. It does. Um, when you identified it earlier, it's it's finally gotten to a point where it's economically unsustainable to continue this. And unfortunately, that is almost always the case before we finally decide to mm -hmm. do something about things like this, is that we can't afford it anymore. Right. It's a terrible way to finally decide to make a decision rather than com compassionate caring about your communities and um uh, yeah. yeah i mean my hope is that people can see this and be activated and like you said the emotional component it's definitely a, a tear jerker and it's not to be um overly sympathetic because on the one hand and you know the think crimes did occur and there are victims to these crimes yes. so these yes. these women are locked up for a reason but the, the goal of the film wasn't to be 
too sympathetic it was to be a realistic portrayal of who these people are and and not a single one of them says like i didn't do right. i didn't do it right. um and it's a, a matter of they take responsibility there's also the backlog of you know you were you're removed from a certain level of choice how you're economically positioned in life so but given those circumstances um it's not, I don't, or I hope it's not like an overly sympathetic film. It's informative, and it was the actual experience that was had. Yeah. But given that you, your eyes can be opened to understanding, nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I'm, I want to go to prison today. Right, or right. You know, when they were kids, their dream wasn't to end up incarcerated for you know, decades. And, and that's, I think that's kind of the point, like something happened along the way. Right. Well, I, I, the first the first step is being able to um, showcase the humanity of the people in in the situa- in prison, not not to continue to marginalize them and vilify them and turn them into characters and mm-hmm. polit and pop culture fodder that that you were talking about earlier with the way yep. that they're sensationalized in these situations. These are people yeah. that are you know, are truly desperate and um, and and they need help. They don't need to be characterized like they do. I, no. the, I, I, I've kept you a little longer than I expected. I, I thank you for 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 your time. I just one last question, and um, it's it the you know I couldn't help but sort of wonder in watching your film that um, you know this is a women's prison and women involved, and there's and I'm I'm a little biased, but I'm going to say that women have a capacity for. Uh, emotional IQ that is more often more uh, developed than men are and mm-hmm. uh, and there's social reasons there's a lot of reasons for that but is it possible to make a, the if project work in a men's prison would you imagine that that would be do you think that you could get those those kinds of um, results and those sorts of stories uh, in a typical men's prison equivalent men's prison well I will tell you this we've done it and interestingly, it, it's so we went. So there's a men's prison in, in Washington State Monroe Correctional Facility, um, and we've we have an educational piece that's separate from this feature-length documentary. Um, and we wanted we wanted to get the male perspective because we often take the educational piece that has women's voices. We show it to kids, and the kids want to hear young boys want to hear from men. So we went. Work, took a, a, a longer time to work with the men's prison to allow us in. So we've done writing workshops, and then I did sit-down interviews. Um, and eventually, like it was saying, I would like to do a, a, a like a four-part doc series yeah. with the women, the men, juvie boys, and juvie girls. And I have to say, I was surprised. The men were um, inc- like more emotionally accessible than I had expected. And I think... Um, the prison did a good job of, I think, curating a group for us. They had done a longer length of their sentence, so I think they had more time to sit and think. And they also have a good community there that uh, that the men can. They have their own support groups. So again, it's like a bit of a more progressive prison. <clears throat> and they were uh, uh, in the room. There were a couple of men that got emotional and to tears, and the other men were supportive. Of it. And then when I did my one-on-one interviews. It was pretty immediate that the bulk of them, like, you know, got very emotional and teared and and went deeply into their process. So 
I think the difference is the way that the men answered the questions. Like we have a certain system of a writing workshop and the men wanted to do everything correctly. And I think that's a little different of a mechanism. They wanted to make sure they answered the, the question correctly, gave us what we were asking. The women, as soon as you've got the third word of the writing prompt out, they're already like pen on paper right. and laying it out. So the time it takes to get to the emotional response, I think, is longer. Uh-huh. But there was no lack of uh, openness, I will say. And again, I think it's the more time you do, the longer you're down, the more the more you have time to think about things and you want, and you see this program as an opportunity yeah. um, to get some stuff out. Well, and as an aside, it's not normal to be that open inside. And this is, I think we touched on it in the film. Yeah. I assume that you sit and when you're locked up I, ahead of time, I thought, Oh, well they must sit around and talk to each other and try and figure it out. And in the women's prison, it's just not something you do because that makes you vulnerable and people can use things against you. And through the course of this project, no one has ever used anything against anyone. Well, Kim issued kind of a, a warning to people yeah. in yeah. the course of the film. And and uh, that's good to hear about the men's side of it. I, I think at some point yeah. you're talking about longer sentences for these men. And I think there, there's got to be at some point a realization that you can't out-tough the system. That, yeah. you, there, there's, that at some point it's got to dawn in you that you're not going to be tougher than the system. The system is designed to break you down. And the, you're right. And so, and that's got to help, you know, a little yeah. bit. Well, well yeah. yeah, Kathleen, I thank you so much for being here. For First of all, for the film, uh, The If Project. Again, logo, Wednesday, September 14th, uh, at Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, check your local listings. I know that logo's on all the major uh, DirecTV, Dish, all the rest of it. So you can check it out on that. And uh, it's a terrific film. Uh, thank you so much, Kathleen Horan, for being here on Film School. It was great to be here. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.